1: Yes, it is, and welcome back. Friday, March 4th, 2022, coming to you live from the Guns Etc. Studios. We are in high primary season, and yesterday I had occasion to cite to an off-referred line of William Buckley's about how to choose the right candidate in a primary if you're a conservative. If we had an interesting call on this, it was from Richard in Phoenix. I'd certainly invite him or anyone else to call back. But as for the rule, it's like any political rule. Pretty good. Not perfect and not always perfectly self-defining. It is, though, I think, a good start. He put it this way back in 1967, Buckley did. Be for the most right, viable candidate who could win. Be for the most right, viable candidate who could win. In other words, who is the most conservative and who is the most conservative who can actually win? Neil Freeman, a longtime associate of William Buckley's, clarified the quote a bit later. Writing, quote, it meant somebody who saw the world as we at National Review did, somebody who would bring credit to our cause, somebody who win or lose would conservatize the Republican Party and the country. It meant somebody like Barry Goldwater, close quote. Now, that's already a bit of a contradiction because Barry Goldwater did not win, even once joked, this is the only country in the world where anybody can grow up to be president except me. And you'll notice even Mr. Freeman distorts the issue of viability by adding win or lose and instead plays the quote for the long game, conservatizing the Republican Party. And in that sense, Barry Goldwater did win. It just, as they say, took 16 years to count the votes. But he and Reagan changed the party and the 1980s were not the Eisenhower 1950s or the Nixon 1960s and 1970s. Both of those men who did win, Nixon and Eisenhower twice. They both won and won re-election. They both liberalized the Republican Party. They didn't conservatize it. Buckley himself did an interesting thing in his own right on this very issue, also twice. He ran for mayor of New York City in 1965 against a Republican and a Democrat, knowing he could not win, but hoping to change the party and establish the conservative movement and foothold as a viable movement itself. And in one case, did everything he could to elect a Democrat over a Republican because the conservatism was better represented by that Democrat than by the Republican. I don't know if many of you know or remember this, but Bill Buckley formed a political action committee committee to a defeat incumbent Republican Connecticut Senator Lowell Weicker, and b garner support and endorsement for Democratic candidate Joe Lieberman. As for Buckley himself. Knowing he was not going to be a viable candidate in New York City in 1965, at least viable enough to win in 1965, here was his own Q&A as to why he was thus running. Question, isn't John Lindsay, the Republican candidate, isn't John Lindsay engaged in revitalizing the Republican Party? Answer, no, he is engaged in devitalizing the Republican Party. A party thrives on its distinctiveness. John Lindsay's decision made years ago to bestow upon himself, the nation and the nation as a Republican rather than as a Democrat was clearly based on personal convenience rather than a respect for the two party system, let alone respect for the Republican Party. The two party system, if it is meaningful, presupposes an adversary relationship between the parties. John Lindsay's voting record and his general political pronouncements. Are an embarrassment to the two-party system. Question. Does the conservative party's position in New York bear on the struggle for power within the Republican National Committee? Answer. It appears to me obvious that it does. The party, the Republican Party, understandably hungry for any victory by anyone who off the record concedes a formal affiliation with the Republican Party, has shown enthusiasm for Mr. Lindsay's campaign. That enthusiasm is not shared by an important wing of the party, probably the dominant wing of the party, some of whose spokesmen have directly encouraged me to run for office and thereby uphold nationally authorized Republican principles. Close quote. Now, what's interesting about this is we have a lot of discussions around here and in a bunch of think tanks and learned societies about what conservatism is how to define it, what it means to be a conservative. It's interesting that Mr. Buckley himself wrote a book on liberalism, but never wrote a book on conservatism. He'd probably say all his books were on conservatism, but you know what I mean. And I've been tempted from time to time, taking what Buckley wrote and said about his 1965 effort and the subsequent Buckley rule, that maybe what we need is not a book on conservatism, but a book on what it means to be a Republican. If one were to do that, I think, or at least it is my thesis. One could divine conservatism much better by reversing the usual order, assuming the Republican Party is the vehicle for the ideology we call conservatism. It is the retail sale of the wholesale concept. The problem is there are a lot of salesmen and not all have the same background or training. So we end up in odd situations sometimes where we think we have wholesale sanity And yet retail madness, to paraphrase Leo Strauss. But if one were to start with the Republican Party in an effort to get at conservatism, one would have to, by necessary logic, start with its founding, right? It's the first party platform, the platform that Abraham Lincoln would then run on to become our party's senator from Illinois in 1858 and then our party's first president elected in 1860. The first thing those early platforms in 1856 and 1860 did was reincorporate a dedication to the Declaration of Independence and Constitution, citing liberally from both. And as I always note, especially for those who keep saying they wish we we Republicans would drop the social issues or those who like to stand up and say I'm an economic conservative but a social liberal type Republican and wish the rest of the party was like that, what I always note is that That is an invention. It was never the party, not in its founding at least, not any more than the Constitution of the United States was a document expressing direct democracy and judicial supremacy. The first party platform for the Republican Party went right to the social issues, declaring as quote unquote twin relics of barbarism, those are the words, slavery and polygamy, family values in those days. I won't spend a lot of time on that now, but I just wanted to plant the seed for us to return to and water later if needs me. But perhaps worth saying in passing that there could, of course, be no greater assault on the notion of the family than polygamy or a system that rips children from parents and parents from children and siblings from each other, etc., all for sale and profit. Odd how far we traveled to a point where the most popular black power movement in this country would identify one of its key planks as the disruption of the Western notion of the nuclear family as the BLM movement did. But I digress just a bit. The issue of viability and the importance of it. There is a long term and a short term to it. Running Goldwater in 1964 was the long term game, a game that could be played in 1964 and was the right game to play to change the party, not the outcome of November's election in 1964. Why? Because no Republican was going to defeat Lyndon Johnson less than a year after John Kennedy's assassination. So why not plant flags on our political roads to fix and save the party, which is precisely what was done? 1980 was a different question. There was no sympathy for the incumbent. And as between the two front runners, George H.W. Bush and Ronald Reagan, The viability of each was equal or arguably equal in several directions. The media would say Reagan was unelectable. Catholic Democrats in Michigan would say something else. And among among the things they might have said was they were not going to vote for George H.W. Bush, who did not speak to their concerns or fundamental beliefs. So Reagan met the Buckley test perfectly in 1980, as Goldwater did in 1964. As I believe Trump did in 2016, and as I believed he was the only one of 18 who could have met that test of viability. But we do not want to make, and the Buckley rule, as this history melds, reveals that Buckley did not want to make an obsession or fetish of the viability part over and against the rightward part when the timing was right, when the opportunity to strike presented itself. But it does, as the caller I referenced from yesterday uh, mentioned, require effort and work from us. We have to do our homework. We have to kick tires. We have to take responsibility for who we run and who we will support. The first task is to totally disregard what a partisan media says. The second task, equally important, is to recognize that a whole lot of people, voters, do not disregard what the partisan media says. To that end, I've always thought that was one of the important things of shows like this or any interactive political communication. It is obviously for each of us interlocutors to clarify our thoughts, but also for an interested audience to learn from the interlocution and dialogue and ideally, hopefully, do something with it. Reach one, teach one, as we like to say here. The best way we do that here, as far as I know, or at least as far as I know how, Is through Socratic dialogue, all with candor, as much intelligence as we can muster and goodwill. I was called out by one listener in an email yesterday saying I was rude and interruptive of the caller I referenced above yesterday. I don't think I was, nor do I think the actual caller thought I was. When someone calls with a disagreement, I give the caller as much time as either necessary or feasible to take the floor to state his or her case or thesis. And then we engage in a back and forth and examine its various parts. That is the Socratic method. And though none of us are Socrates, the aim is the same, to arrive at the truth together. In any event, I say this not to revisit someone's resentment from yesterday, but to offer it up is the best way I know how to talk to someone who may disagree with us politically or really on anything you or I might say. And that too is probably just about the best way to think about picking viable right word candidates for office. Do they come to you or at you with candor, intelligence, and goodwill? And yes, a backbone, or at least an ideological conviction that is trustable or trustworthy. Can they mold public opinion, or are they subject to being molded by it? Have they a track record of one kind or another, or have they not? And as with any leader in almost any field, can they overcome the onslaught of the leftist media and culture that will work hammer and tongs against them? Maybe I should say hammer and sickle, or will they cave to it or just as bad, just as bad, make the onslaught worse? These are all obviously heavy responsibilities foisted onto us, but also responsibilities we, sh- we should rejoice in that we can still make them. And it is my belief if we don't make them right, we won't be able to make them at all. Not for long. I'm Seth Leibson, 602-508-0960. Give us a call, and we will be right back. Welcome back to the Seth Leapson Show, coming to you live from the Guns Etc studios. You can join the conversation by giving us a call at 602-508-0960. We established on this show a fact yesterday that my producer, Bill, shops at the grocery store once a week. Typically, it's going to be on a Wednesday or a Tuesday. Bill, do you get your gasoline on a specific day of the week or more than once a week? You, you drive kind of an economically gasoline-fueled car, but do you, do you, do you fill it up more than once a week? No, I wait till I have about twenty or thirty miles till the light comes on. Yeah. So what? Every two weeks? Do you think? Week and a half, roughly. Every a... two or every two or three weeks. Oh, really? You get that much out of it? Okay. Yeah. Well, you uh, you have a you have a car that's very uh, gas economical. I don't know when you last filled up. It's about two and a half weeks ago. Are we pushing it. You're going to be in for a surprise, buddy. I'm sorry to report to you. I noticed it today. I fill up a little more frequently. I chose poorly on uh, gas, gasoline economies. Uh, I'm doing my best to expand the carbon footprint I suppose, but but you're going to be in for a surprise. It leads me to an interesting thought. You know, let me share this with you and I just want to open it up and toss it around. You wonder a little bit, or do you wonder a little bit? I just started to myself. What 20 or 30 years, or maybe more from now, people will look back at and say regarding the United States if, in fact, Russia's invasion of Ukraine is wholesale, if it completes, if it takes the continues on the trajectory it's on, and Ukraine is fully swallowed and disappears as an independent state. Do you wonder what maybe people 20, 30, 40 years hence and beyond might say about the United States as we watched it happen? In this sense, in this sense, this isn't World War II. It's not. There are analogs, of course. There are analogs to Munich and Sudetenland and all of that. There are. Totally, I'm not dismissing them. There are analogs. And it's not, but it is not World War II. We are not facing the enormity of human civilization abuse that we saw in World War II, nor Would I think the free world ever let it happen if it got close to that or beginning at that level? But the analogs are stark and a country is on the way to disappearing and brutality over it is grotesquely high. Do you think 20, 30, 40 years hence people might look back and say, well, what did the United States do about it? And when you hear Jen Psaki answer – And by implication, Joe Biden, the president of the United States, answer why we didn't do more to become energy independent or use our own resources or sanction Russian energy or refuse to take Russian oil lest it jack up the prices to the American consumer even higher. Do you think people might look back a little bit 20, 30, 40 years hence and say, boy, what was going on while America was sleeping? Boy, is that really what this country was all about? Human rights concerns take a second seat, a third seat, a back seat to lower gas prices. Do you think there's going to be that kind of a conversation? It just dawned on me. I mean, yes, we all we all are feeling the pain. And a tertiary a secondary or tertiary question arises, which is Do you think the Biden administration's reaction and opening of policy options are altered at all, constrained in their own minds or open in other areas by the fact that this is an election year? In fact, if you put it all together, do you think there's a potential that if Russia swallows Ukraine whole and the bloodbath continues – That 20, 30, 40 years hence, people will say, well, the president was more interested in winning the election for his party. And that's why we didn't do more. And we could have done more. There are more things we can do. And I'm not talking about no-fly zones. I'm not talking about boots on the ground. I'm talking about, you know, what sectors were willing to stop Russia from pending here. And... I'm curious too to know, sample from this audience, would you be willing to short-term, short-term because energy independence would fix this long-term, but would you be willing short-term to pay, I don't know, let's just take an easy number, a dollar, easy because even, a dollar more at the gas pump. It's now a dollar more than it was a month ago from what I can tell, but let's add one more dollar to it. Would you Would you accept five plus dollars a gallon gas would you accept that for let's say a month and a half or two months would you accept that if it meant no more russian energy no more purchasing of russian power if you knew it would make a dent in russia's economy and run to russia's mental and moral military strength would you be willing to do that i'd love to know your answer Are you willing to do it? Is Joe Biden right? Or is this an election scheme? 602-508-0960. 602-5080-960. Be right back. Welcome back to the Seth Leibson Show. 602-508-0960. Gold has been used as money for thousands of years. Today, it remains the common sense investment that's simple and straightforward. You don't need a a pushy commission salesperson to tell you why you should buy gold. You probably already want it. All you need is a reputable dealer with advice based on range and experience so you get what you want at the best value. That's where Midas Gold Group enters. They're veteran-owned, And proud supporters of America First and this show right here on 960 AM, The Patriot, meaning they're supporters of you. They're fighting for your right to speak, to think, and to financial privacy and freedom that gold offers. Trust the dealer that I, Sebastian Gorka, and thousands of our listeners know and trust. That's Midas Gold Group. Visit them in person at 625 West Deer Valley Road in Phoenix or call 480-360-3000. Visit them online at MidasGoldGroup.com. Clark is in Phoenix. Hello, Clark. Clark, are you there?
2: Yes, I am.
1: Hi, Hi. how are you? Good afternoon, sir.
2: Good. Thank you for taking the call. You bet. In simple terms, the answer to your question is yes.
1: The answer to my question is hell yes. I uh, like well, that, but let's remind the audience of what we're <laughs> just in case. I, yeah, well, I'll generally I'll take, take that. I'll, take I'll generally extra, take that. Okay.
2: Good extra buck a gallon. I drive a lot, yeah. so I'm filling up a Costco twice a week. So, you are um,
1: okay. So you you're yeah. you're where I am on the sense of. You know we we actually do know what the price of gas is because we see it at least once a week, in your case, twice a week, so it you know it's it's a big part of probably your budget as it is mine, it is. and uh you would be willing to pay an extra buck for gas if it meant yeah. stopping uh, Russia's assault on Ukraine for what a couple months anyway right
2: uh, yeah I uh, can How can you, in good conscience not?
1: Well that's the question I'm asking Clark and 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 my answer is where you are now you know perhaps perhaps you and I might do a little you know might do a little better than than someone who who's whose answer would exclusively be no because they can't afford it but there are there are a lot of considerations in life aren't they aren't there and 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 we kind of look at the history of world war 2 In 2020 vision retrospectively of saying why the hell didn't we do x why the heck didn't we do y why the heck did we wait so long why did churchill have to beg and plea for so long right we look back at this stuff and now we're kind of living in it in real time and we kind of understand maybe a little bit about the hesitation but, you know, 1940 was an election year. 1941 wasn't. 1941, of course, we were directly attacked. We haven't been directly attacked here. But we are watching a human crisis unfold in real time before our very eyes. And the most we can seem to do is offer rhetoric. Really, that's the most we can seem to do. Where the obvious thing to do, the obvious thing to do is not keep Paying Russia lots of money while we're declaiming against them because we have some concern that John Kerry doesn't want us to take our eye off the ball of, which is not being, not using our natural resources, not being energy independent here. So, Clark, I, I'm with you. I am with you. and 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 I wonder, I just wonder, if Joe Biden were to make that case, what this country what this world might look like but i think he's using it as a ruse clark i think he's using it as a ruse because i think his ideology is as you said hell yes to me i think his his ideology is hell no to drilling more in the united states of america no matter what no matter what whether it's an invasion of ukraine or an invasion of poland for that matter
2: yeah i don't disagree with you at all and it's uh truly unfortunate that uh, that Trump didn't win because none of this stuff would have ever happened. You know, it's just horrific. I'm watching it every day on TV until I get, until it turns my stomach.
1: What would you do differently or is that what you would do differently, the energy sector?
2: Uh, I think that that's realistically, I think that we could be a lot stronger in shutting down uh, all of their their banking instruments. Yeah. Uh, as well but i think that if we could uh choke them with the oil that that would uh, hurt them a lot sure it would and uh, certainly i don't think this is necessary i think that putin is committed and isn't going to stop no matter one does from the outside yeah, at this yeah. point hey real
1: quick i gotta well, take a break real quick clark do you have friends or family in the ukraine or in ukraine no i do not i don't either i don't either i like your moral answer your answer is very moral and i appreciate it sir thank you 602 5080 960 Welcome back to the Seth Leibson Show, brought to you in part by the good people of Balance of Nature, balanceofnature.com. They're fruits and veggies. On the fruit side, you get things to maintain your health, protect your health, and repair. Same with the veggies. They're mixed and blended to do just that. Tomatoes, everything from tomatoes and papayas to wild blueberries and grapefruit. On the fruit side, on the veggie side, everything from broccoli and zucchini to cayenne pepper and mushrooms, sweet potato, wheatgrass, you name it. It's the best whole food supplement I know. I've been taking it three years since I've been taking it. I don't get sick. I used to get sick a lot, several times a year, every time the seasons change. Now I just get allergies, which I can't prevent. You can hear it's allergy season starting here. Like clockwork, I get those. But I don't get sick thanks to the immunity boost I get from Balance of Nature. Check out their fruits and veggies at balanceofnature.com. That's balanceofnature.com. And make sure to use discount code Balance. Discount code BALANCE. Totally pure, nothing added, third-party tested for all kinds of impurities. The fruits and veggies at balanceofnature.com. Clark, uh, previous uh, segment, caller Clark, listener Clark from Phoenix weighed in. He uh, sounds like he has a kind of vehicle I have, maybe a bigger one, uh, where he fills up a couple times a week. And he said he'd be willing, at least short-term, sounded like Clark might even be willing to do it long-term, but he said he'd be willing at least short-term to pay a little more for gas if it meant strengthening our position vis-a-vis Russia. I mean, what does it tell Vladimir Putin as we watch and decry what he is doing that we are still sending him millions of dollars, hundreds of millions of dollars by the day because we refuse to ban his oil for use in the United States? What does that tell them? What does it tell them that we're working with them to appease Iran? I'll get back to you on that in just a moment. Not always everyone's favorite flavor. A lot of Republicans (laughs) – it's funny amongst the Republican senators. Who's the best Republican senator? That's a tough question because people will usually pick – usually pick about one of three or four choices – And then a few weeks later or a few months later, say, "Mm, not that person anymore. And then we might refer to there's there's about four or five, I think, that belong in the uh, right now in the current U.S. Senate that belong in the uh, pantheon of the greatest that we have, the best that we have. And I could probably even rank them from my own perspective, my own desires, my own positions, my own opinions, my own preferences. But one of those who disappoints. An often uh, often a fair amount. One of those who disappoints often a fair amount. But also, when he's good, he's great category. You know, when he's good, he's great. One of those is Marco Rubio. And um, here's what he said yesterday on, I think it was, let's see, where where was it? Oh, he's on CNBC yesterday. He was on CNBC yesterday. And I think his comments kind of summed up where I'm kind of putting the question to you folks. Would you be willing to pay a buck or two more Per gallon for a month or two more, if it really would be a meaningful thing in stopping Vladimir Putin. Listen to Marco Rubio.
0: Here tonight, what do you expect to hear uh, tonight? Well, what I'd like to hear, I won't hear, and that is the president announcing that America is going to get back into the business of aggressively producing oil and natural gas and exporting it as well, becoming a player in the global market, that he's going to roll back some of these restrictions that they've put in place on natural gas, on new exploration in Alaska and in Texas on production, that our goal is to get back to that early 2020, late 2019 production aims and uh, uh, metrics that we were hitting, and that we're going to do that in conjunction with a gradual reduction and ultimate elimination of imports of Russian oil. I'd love to see him say it. I don't think he can or will because the radical left wing of his party would go nuts. They would go bonkers if he did that.
1: Yeah, think about it. Now, it is eminently true as the media likes to report because they like to cover for this administration that the bulk of the energy, oil and gas we import is not, the bulk of it is not from Russia. Russia constitutes you know, about 10%. Uh, Of our of our of our oil and gas imports. But think about this. That's not the way to look at it. The way to look at it really is how much does that mean to Putin? It's about one hundred million dollars a day to Putin. That's what that means. That's what that translates to. And we are producing about one point two million fewer barrels of oil per day here since Joe Biden became president. 1.2 1.2 million fewer barrels of oil per day. It seems to me there's an easy answer to show our seriousness. And it's staring us in the face. But John Kerry. But John Kerry. And Joe Biden. But the Democratic Party, which wants us to surcease and has done its best to surcease the de- development of our natural resources here well you know i remember during the trump years there were a lot of republicans and soy disant conservatives who um whose first political instincts were to criticize donald trump they just couldn't get on board with donald trump's presidency not because they disliked the agenda but because they disliked him And one of the responses to that is that one of the responses from conservatives who supported Trump to those who didn't or Republicans who didn't was that there was a difference between wartime conservatives and peacetime conservatives. And you either got – excuse me, you either got that we were in a war for something really big here, namely the United States of America and its future, or you didn't. And if you didn't under, if you did understand that, you could put up with the uh, with the with the with the hubris. You could put up with the arrogance. You could put up with the braggadocio. You could br- put up with the norm breaking because the policies were pretty fantastic, pretty fantastic. In fact, if you had removed all the personal problems. I'm not so sure 10 years from now, people wouldn't look back and say, or the historians wouldn't look back and say, those were four of the best years, at least in recent memory, in America. Economic fronts, international relations fronts, peace fronts, and restoring a sense of pride in what it means to be an American. About half the problem there, about half the problem was in the conservative movement, the peacetime conservatives, conservatives who don't understand the onslaught and assault against this country, not against Republicans, not against conservatives, but against this country. They were peacetime conservatives. We were wartime conservatives. Why am I bringing that all up? Because it seems to me right now, even amongst the Democrats or among the Democrats, those that want to be John Kerry, those that want to be AOC, those that think Greta Thunberg has something important to offer this world in the form of public policy, those that think that are peacetime and wartime Democrats, there is nothing that will shake them from their idea fix, that the eye on the ball really is the environment. It's the trees and the sky. It's not the human beings. Shame on them. We'll be right back. Welcome back to the Seth Leibson Show. Just sitting here thinking, the notion of Big Brother, the surveillance state, censorship, and the like. Usually, usually, there's—I was using the word shame in the last thing. Usually, there's a sense of shame about it, or I should at least say. A sense of covertness about it. Usually government surveillance, particularly for political purposes, usually it's done in secret. Usually. And it's bad enough when it is. And Democrats once upon a time used to rail against it, they used to have organizations dedicated to fighting it. The ACLU, in part, was one of them. There were a lot of them. They used to fight the coercive state. They used to fight any kind of surveillance on Americans for political purposes when they discovered it. That was one problem and one animal. Let me tell you how bad things have gotten. The government is now advertising that it's doing it. The government is now At your government, your federal government is now advertising they are doing it. And in the process, just like Soviet Union of yours, seeking your help to report on fellow Americans. And from the weirdest of places, the Department of Health and Human Services. U.S. Surgeon General, I'm reading from the HHS website, hhs.gov, so no one can blame me for reading from anything partisan here. U.S. Surgeon General Dr. Vivek Murthy is calling for research, data, and personal experiences related to health misinformation in an effort to deepen our collective understanding of its sources and impact. You got that? The Surgeon General, the Department of Health and Human Services, is asking you to report on Public health misinformation. Why is this important? The website at HHS asks, quote, during the pandemic, many of us have been exposed to health misinformation, information that is false, inaccurate or misleading, according to the best available evidence at the time. It can be really hard to know what is true amidst all this information. It goes on and on and on. And then it tells you, thus, they are requesting information from you, citizens, citizens, As to where you received or saw or noticed an outlet, media or otherwise, putting out misinformation. I'm going to work on the weekend to work with you all on collecting statements from Joe Biden and Anthony Fauci so that we can send it to Vivek Murthy. I'm Seth Leapson. We'll be right back.